morning. Please have a seat. Good morning. Please have a seat. We are pleased to welcome this morning Oliver Whitcamp. Um, and uh, I, I, uh, Rich and Tracy, you promised that you'll let people hang out with him after, right? Okay, so you don't have to keep hanging out with him now is kind of the implication of that. Um, yes? Yeah, and it's my fault that you're out of sleep, so especially, yeah. Uh, he got he got a job with the State Department of Transportation. That, yeah, not the State Department. That would be yeah different. It, it really is a great story. I think I'm a little hot here on the mic, Caroline. Um, it, it really is a great story, um, and uh, and if you don't know it, ask somebody who's been around New Hope for a while. We we first encountered the Alanya family um, when uh, actually uh, <clears throat> this is this was back when uh, when New Hope was meeting in Stone Chapel in Pikesville, and we were involved not with Catonsville Emergency Assistance, but we were involved with the Community Crisis Center in Reisterstown. We supported them financially. We'd collect food. Uh, for them, and 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 sure enough, uh, one day uh, this guy comes in who is uh, this guy from uh, from Uganda. He's got a family uh, of of three had lived uh, uh, three kids had you know lived a kind of thoroughly middle class uh, life in Uganda, and he was uh, uh, in belonging to the wrong political party. Had gotten himself uh, in in trouble with the powers that be. Uh, had to get broken out of prison uh, and and meet his his family at the airport to fly out uh, with basically what whatever they could carry um, and uh, and their their funds were 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 dwindling and they went to the community crisis center on a day when when Anna Hanke was there working uh, as a volunteer uh, and he he had gone uh, to get to try to get some food for his family and uh, we we got to know the Olanyas then, and uh, because the Olanyas are Catholic, uh, New Hope and Sacred Heart Parish in Glendon uh, worked together for years. I mean, this is this is what it involves when when you when you you have to get uh, set up in, in a new in a new culture. If you're uh, if you're seeking asylum, uh, you're not allowed to work legally. You can't work, but the the benefits that come to you in terms of, of providing housing and food don't come right away. So I'm not sure what people expect folks to do for several months while everything lines up, but, uh, but uh, Sacred Heart and New Hope came together and we, we ensured that, uh, that the kids had clothes, we ensured that they had warm clothes because winter came, it was really fun. We had a lot of snow that winter. It was great to see these kids from Uganda who had never seen snow uh, you know, sledding and and uh, but you know we um, we would uh, uh, 
come together and get them Christmas gifts, pay for their rent, pay utilities, and then uh, as, as Patrick has been trying to find a, a, a full-time job that will uh, be sufficient to provide uh, for their family, uh, at the same time, his wife, Immaculate, uh, has been training uh, to uh, to work uh, in, in a medical office. So uh, New Hope also helped to, uh, along with St. Hilda's, helped to provide funding uh, for her to, to get those, to take those classes. And she now has, she in fact, she got her job first. She's working at uh, GBMC, and, and he's now uh, going to be working for the State Transportation Department. These are, are, are huge provisions, uh, and there have been people praying for this family for years. Uh, you should know they pray for us, and they, they love us dearly. Uh, and uh, and it is a it is a wonderfully uh, wonderfully joyful thing to see what God has done in the life of that family and to see the ways in which God's people have been able to come alongside a family in need. So um, uh, I, I I'm I'm proud of New Hope for all that New Hope has done and for all the people that have loved on the Olanias so well uh, for so long. Uh, I'm so happy that that uh, God has provided this. Uh, this job for Patrick, and there's a there's a lot to a lot to be thankful for, um, and so uh, even in the midst of all the bad news we hear, good things are happening, and you know a weekend like this it kind of reminds us it's been a long it's been a long winter, hasn't it? Uh, it seems like spring just took forever to show up, and this time of year always brings up kind of mixed emotions for me. Because I see all of the beautiful flowers, and I see the flowering trees, and I know that the time's going to come that, that Mary and the girls will go to Sherwood Gardens in Guilford. Every year they go, and they take pictures, and we have this, you know, I, I was so dumb. You know, I used to, like, complain, oh, there you go, taking pictures again, and all you do is, you know, play with your pictures on the computer. We have a chronicle of our children's lives, because uh, every year they go down and they get their pictures taken with the tulips and you know it used to be when they were little you know I would have to be like behind Mary making faces trying to get them to smile and laugh and 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 now it's just best if I kind of sit off to the side and smoke my pipe and and leave them to do their thing uh so that's all exciting and I, I get to you know we uh, yes some of us have allergies and so you, when you start smelling the the flowers then that means trouble but but if you can handle it, uh, you know, we, we smell these flowers when we drive around. Uh, the, the downside, of course, is now I've got to find a couple hours every week to cut the grass. Um, and, uh, and early on, probably for uh, maybe twice a week. But then this is great for Dan Levinson, who owns a landscaping business, who finally is now able to get his guys out working. Uh, but but it really, it, it, is, it is remarkable to see this, because in a lot of ways, when we see life emerging in the spring... It is kind of the big exception to the way the universe works, right? Who can remember the second law of thermodynamics? Uh, Eric? Entropy. And Eric, what is entropy, the second law of thermodynamics? Yeah, basically everything eventually falls apart. Right. That's why the the picture on your bulletin is so funny. I was at the the uh, Wayne McDowell, who runs a chimney sweep business in town, showed me this at this uh, business networking group. Uh, somebody switched the pictures uh, in in their little ad, and uh, if you look at the chimney before and the chimney after picture, um, that's that's if that's accurate, that probably is not going to want to make you uh, employ uh, the Doctor Sweep chimney masonry specialist to work on on your house. 
Um, it, it's funny because we know that chimney before and chimney after, if somebody's done work, should look the opposite, right? But according to reality, according to the nature of the universe, according to the second law of thermodynamics, in fact, Dr. Sweep is showing us exactly how it works. Things start out organized, things start out looking good, things start out solid, and then they decay. One of the reasons sometimes they decay, by the way, has to do with all this riotous life breaking out. You get all these, uh, all these grass and weeds popping up through cracks in the, in the sidewalk and in the driveway, and that makes those deteriorate faster. But, but we're reminded every spring that the emergence of life, growth, flowering, fruitfulness is, is a, a, an exception to the way that the universe tends to work. We have things brought together into organized, beautiful, fruitful states rather than constant decay. The other way, of course, that works is when human beings uh, and to a degree, other animals like beavers can make a dam, and I suppose. But we're, when, when usually, when people take things and and make order out of chaos, right? Those are the two ways that we see an exception to this rule. And I think both point to what Jesus is talking about here in Mark. He says, "This is what the kingdom of God's like." Guy goes out. He scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. Even though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. Because the harvest has come. And again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. And yet when it gets planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And so with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You see, Jesus is pointing out the way the kingdom works. As I talked about a couple weeks ago, the whole point of the parables is Jesus telling us how the kingdom works, not how the world works, not how how things are normally supposed to happen. He's saying this is how the kingdom works. And there's a subtlety here because he's actually showing us how the kingdom works by pointing out the way the world does work. There's other places where he points out, uh, he tells stories about people doing things that nobody would ever do the way that they get done. So two weeks ago, we talked about the sower. No sower, no farmer in his right mind is going to waste three quarters of his seed by throwing it in thorny places and on thin soil and dropping it on the road. He's going to put all of it where it's most likely to grow, in the fertile soil. And he says, so actually, Jesus said, "This this is the way God works. God just lavishly, extravagantly spreads out all over the place. He throws his word all over, and, and, and sometimes it, it grows, and, and sometimes it gets snatched up, and, and sometimes it starts growing, but then it gets choked out, and then sometimes, boy, it, it just gives this huge harvest. That's how God does it. 
none of you should do that. The, the, the point of that is not that Jesus says, therefore now, when you sow your seeds, make sure you take three quarters of them and throw them places where they're not going to grow. That, nobody would have expected that. They knew he was telling a story. Well, here, he's talking about, again, the way things grow. I'll start with the mustard seed uh, before anybody gets all worked up about whether the mustard seed is actually the smallest of all seeds or the smallest of all seeds that would have been grown in Palestine or the smallest of all seeds that would have been put in a garden. It is certainly not the smallest of all seeds. If you've ever had a corned beef sandwich or a poppy seed bagel, uh, both of which are delicious, and uh, I understand the new uh, Jewish-style deli in Pikesville uh, is really good. haven't been there yet. But uh, mustard seeds are bigger than poppy seeds and bigger than a bunch of other seeds. Jesus is not trying to be botanically inaccurate. What he's pointing out is when you take a seed, it's a really, really small thing. You put it in the ground, and then it grows. And the kind of seed he was talking about probably would have been a black mustard, which grows to 8, 10 feet tall. And really, it's more like a big, big bush than a tree. But it's something that is small and grows. And and the birds are able, it grows so big, actually, that birds can roost in its branches. What would, what would birds normally be doing with that mustard seed? Eating it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the other fun thing is when you, when you drive around, you hear like the birds tweeting and you hear crickets chirping. Just bear in mind that all of these creatures, generally speaking, are either trying to kill one another or, spe- or, or escape from one another in order to survive. Okay? Um, really? Yeah, the, 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 the plants are disadvantaged because they can't run or hide. No, really. I mean, that's why I, that's why I, 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 that's why I, I hate, I, I mean, I just, I, I really have a problem with vegetarianism. I think about the kind of hostility to plants that, that you have to have uh, to eat things that don't, that don't have a chance. But aside from that, the, the point is that this little tiny thing that normally would be something a bird eats actually turns into something that all these birds can roost in. It's something that appears tiny and then turns into something that is huge. Right? Jesus uses the, the mustard seed in another place where he says, you know, if you have this faith as small as a mustard seed, right? Tiny bit of faith and you sow this faith. And this is not the point where I say you need to give money and then God's going to, like, make you rich. This is where, where Jesus says, no, you... you, you you sow this seed in faith, and then you see what happens. And the fact is, the work that you do is really not the work of making something grow. The work you do is establishing the conditions in which it can grow, right? So a farmer doesn't make grain grow. A farmer puts the, the seed someplace where it has a chance to grow. And if it needs to have water, he will give it the water that it needs. He knows how deep to plant it in the ground so that it can get the nutrients from the soil that it needs, so that it's not so far down that it can't get, shoot up out of the soil, and it's not so far up that it can't get an adequate root structure. He, he just puts it where it's going to go, where it needs to go, so that, that it can then do what it does. That's why Jesus says, look, night and day, it doesn't matter whether the farmer is sleeping or working. doesn't matter, awake or not. This thing is growing quite apart from what he does. In fact, I love this line. It does this even though the farmer doesn't know how. 
right? So even if the farmer is not a biologist, the seed still grows. It's pretty neat, huh? Right? All the farmer has to do is set up the right conditions, but it's the seed that actually does it. The soil is producing the grain. And then as soon as the grain is ripe, what does the farmer have to do? All he has to come, to come along and do is harvest it. Now, all these things do take work. I mean, this is one of the, the things that is, uh, uh, you know, as, as a preacher, I love gardening metaphors. I hate gardening. I mean, even before my knees were busted, I never really, never really was into it. But, but I love these gardening metaphors, right? So you get to come along and you just gather it all up. All you did was you, you gave it the conditions necessary for growth. And then you come along and you, and you gather the fruit. And Jesus says, this is exactly what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we are, are doing is we are praying that God will manifest his kingdom. It's actually the Greek there in your kingdom come, your will be done is strange. It's, it's, it's got a, a, a grammatical form we don't really have in English. It's called a, a third person imperative. Imperative is when you say do something. So like Bruce, wake up, that's imperative. Uh, 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 but um, that's usually when we do that, it's in the second person, right? So you get up, right? But third person you're imperative, you're basically telling something else to do something. So you're commanding God's kingdom to come, but you're not saying, hey, God's kingdom come. You're saying to God, your kingdom come. Kind of strange. And it is. It's strange for us grammatically and, it's, and, and theologically, it's a little weird when we pray to God because we're saying, we're asking God, your kingdom come, knowing really that he's the one who's going to make that happen how he wants to, when he wants to, where he wants to, in the way that he wants to. We're the ones who ask that his kingdom come and his will be done. And in partnering with him in his kingdom, we can cultivate conditions in which the kingdom is likely to manifest. But He's the one who actually does the work of bearing fruit. That's why Paul says, for example, in in Colossians, he says, I labor, therefore, with all of God's energy. I struggle with Christ's energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul says, I'm working, but, but Christ is the one who's actually doing it. It's the Holy Spirit who is the energetic force. And you'll remember from our, our study in 1 Corinthians... At the very beginning, when Paul is talking about how you've got just everybody sniping at each other about who's, who's, the, who's the best apostle and who's the best teacher and bragging, well, I got baptized by this guy. Well, I got baptized by this guy. And Paul says, look, here, here's the way this works, right? Apollos, Paul, we, we all work for Jesus. And so... Great, I planted the seed, Apollos came along and watered it, somebody else comes along and, and harvests, but, but God's the one who makes it grow. God's the one who gives the growth. Don't get confused. Don't mistake thinking your work for what God is actually doing. What we get to do in partnership with God is create the conditions in which he is actually going to do the things that he is going to do. That is how the kingdom works. Which is why one of the most important things we can do for the sake of the kingdom is to keep praying over and over and over again. Your kingdom come, your will be done. 
Because if, in fact, God is the one who is giving the growth, if God's the one who is doing the work, who's even giving us the energy we need to do, the things we need to do to partner with him in cultivating environments that are conducive to the growth of the kingdom, he's the one who's behind all of this. And the minute we, we miss that, the minute we start thinking it's all about our working hard and our being clever, is the minute that we detach ourselves from the source of the power that we need. It's the point at which we, we try to, to, to use a tool without having it plugged into the wall. That's why we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And whether we do it with a Hoberman sphere like they do at Darcy's Kids Hippie Preschool, whether we do it with breath prayer, whether we do it desperately as we try to get through traffic without cussing somebody out, that's, that's what we do and that's why we do it. Because that's how God's kingdom comes and how his will is done. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be people who enthusiastically and joyfully and diligently partner with you in the work that you've called us to. We pray that we would be faithful in cultivating the kind of environment in which your work will bear fruit, but we pray that we would never mistake your work for ours. We pray that we would always seek not to get your work energizing our plans, but that we would be the ones submitting to what you're doing. We do pray over and over again that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in our lives. We pray that we would be a church where that becomes a habit. And that's just the way we see the world. Make us those kind of people. In Christ's name, amen.